The baseball season is underway, and we'll talk with Todd Zola of MastersBall.com about his transcontinental draft weekend, tactics for pitcher and roster management, players to keep in mind, and much more. Next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of April the 5th, show number 12 of the 2013 fantasy baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to Todd Zola of MastersBall.com and ESPN, we'll have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League analyst, columnist Jock Thompson. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Philly's left-handed pitching prospect Adam Morgan. Matt Beagle's taking the week off. And in his Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler talks about asking the right questions. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, Mike Morse is on pace for a 216 home run season. Hey, what do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, after three games, Mike Morse of the Mariners had four home runs. And if you just do the math, that's 216 taters in a 162-game season. Me, I'll take the under. Sell high. It's the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's our National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. Nick, let's start in Cincinnati where the Reds outfielder Ryan Ludwig is going to miss up to 14 weeks with what was reported in some places as two shoulder injuries on one play. I know he's having surgery, I think, to deal with some cartilage issues. Uh, You reported in your National League Divisional Outlook this week that even when Ludwig gets back, there's some doubt that his power will come back with him. So how does this affect the Reds' lineup? Well, the immediate effect on the Reds' lineup is Chris Heisey gets the at-bats. And, you know, Heisey's a guy that we have uh, we've thought for a long time could do very well if he had the opportunity. Uh, in 2011, Heisey had 18 home runs and only 279 at-bats, uh, 157 PX. So, you know, that's a, that's a lot of power that Heisey brings with him. Last season, he struggled a bit, only seven homers and 347 at-bats. And some of that may have been bad luck, a 7% home run per fly rate. Some of it may have been, as, as one of our writers speculated earlier this week, you know, there's some guys who just need regular playing time in order to uh, to produce, and maybe Heisey's one of them. Uh, so we'll get a chance to see what Heisey can do. Uh, this spring, he had 17 hits and 62 at-bats, four doubles, three homers. So there's plenty of, po- plenty of power there uh, if he gets a chance to show it, and it should hit around 260. Um, so, you know, a fairly a fairly decent replacement in that number two spot. Yeah, I was wondering about that number two spot. Is, uh, he doesn't draw a lot of walks, uh, has had trouble with contact. But uh, speaking of batting order spots, uh, Ryan Ludwig was the cleanup hitter for the Reds. Who moves into that uh, run production spot? 
Brandon Phillips moves into that run production spot, and I'll tell you, that's a that's a real boost in the fantasy uh, prospect for Brandon Phillips because he's hitting behind Joey Votto. Joey Votto's got a we're projecting Joey Votto's on base percentage is 443. Now just think about that for a minute. 443 on base percentage. Guess who we're projecting to lead the league in doubles? Joey Votto with 48. What that means is if Phillips were there the entire year, 48 times he's going to come to bat with a guy in scoring position. Guaranteed. I mean, at a minimum. So if you look at what Phillips has done over the last, he's, he's hit in the cleanup order before. Over the last three seasons, he's had 591 at-bats hitting cleanup, uh, has hit batted in 97 runs. So that's a season's worth of RBIs in that in, at bats and RBIs out of that position. Compared to the number two spot, number two hitter, 416 at bats over the last three seasons, 34 RBIs. Huge difference. So I think a real boost in the uh, in the immediate fantasy prospects for Brandon Phillips. Yeah, I calculated Phillips uh, at bats in the cleanup position. He's had two seasons where he had real substantial appearances there. In 2007, it was 81 games, so half a season. He drove in 52 runs. That's 104, more or less, for RBIs. And, and then in 09, 122 games, he drove in 82. So that's, again, more than 100 RBI pace. This guy can get some RBIs, and I think that could be a real nice jump for his value, as you say. Now, the question a lot of people are going to be asking about this with turmoil or upset in the Reds outfield what about Billy Hamilton yeah what about Billy Hamilton could Billy Hamilton come up very soon and, and do something in Cincinnati I think the answer is that he might get there uh, sooner rather than later it's going to depend on how the Reds do with Heisey I think for one thing if they're winning why bring up a guy that uh, that that has some risk at this point the 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 things that are holding Billy Hamilton back right now he's a fair he's a newcomer to playing center field uh, so he's still got a lot to learn about that position and about the nuances of that position. And certainly getting some repetitions in the minors will strengthen his defense. But I think there's no doubt that if Hamilton were come, to come up and play in center field and Chu moves to a, a corner spot, that the Reds would have better defense. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, the question is, how will Hamilton hit once he's in the majors? Well, this spring, he, he, he was limited by hamstring issues. So he only got 26 at-bats this spring and only got five hits and nine strikeouts. So, you know, we're looking at a guy who still has some work to do in the minor leagues. But on the positive side of that, think about this. Five hits. He, he scored five runs. He stole four bases. So uh, we, we see the dynamism we're talking about there. Uh, once he gets a chance, he's going to be dynamic, uh, even if he doesn't hit 300. Yeah, he doesn't. If he gets 140 hits or 130 hits, it translates to... Uh at that rate, about 130 uh, stolen bases and a goodly number of runs. Of course, you can't prorate in that fashion based on such small numbers, but there's absolutely no doubt this Billy Hamilton could easily be a 100 stolen base guy in the major leagues, and that means he's the kind of guy that can upset an entire fantasy league. Yeah, very definitely. So, you know, Hamilton may get up sooner than he would have otherwise with the injury, but if Heisey's playing well, they'll probably just kind of buy their time on Hamilton. So we'll just have to see how the whole thing plays out. And, of course, there are always issues about uh, playing time in the early part of the season because they want to delay a player's arbitration and free agency qualifications. So there's an incentive for the team not to bring him up in any hurry also. Uh, staying with the Cincinnati Reds for a minute, Nick, uh, Dan Becker's most recent batting buyer's guide column at BaseballHQ.com looked at batters who got hurt or didn't perform well during spring training and mentioned possible replacements from the free agent pool. And one of the examples caught my eye. Dan suggested that if you have Hanley Ramirez in your fantasy lineup, of course he's out with an injury, you might want to look at Cincinnati shortstop Zach Cozart for decent power speed. 
Yeah, very definitely. I mean, Zach Cozart's not a bad guy to have at shortstop. If you look at what he did last season, a full season of at-bats, 561 at-bats, uh, hit 15 home runs, uh, hit, hit 246 batting average. So, you know, the, the guy the guy did really well. And on top of that, a speed index of 128, suggesting that there's some latent speed there. He didn't steal a lot of bases, but uh, certainly could do do more than that. And, and there's been talk about, at least uh, uh, online, about Cozart moving to the number two spot in the batting order. That may or may not be a real good thing. His his on base percentage is projected at 285. That would not be a real good OBA for a guy uh, hitting the number two spot in the order. So uh, the Reds may keep Heisey in that number two spot for now and see how he does. Uh, and then Cozart is certainly a possibility if they need to move someone else there. And one thing about Cozart, you can count that he's going to get the at bats, barring injury. Of course, they they really like him as a defensive player as well. So his his lineup spot is somewhat assured over the uh, over the long run. Probably a pretty good lock for five hundred plus at bats. Yeah, I think so. Very definitely. Cozart was, I think, about a nine dollar player last year, and probably about the same this year. But he does have stolen base upside. You mentioned that, so he could get into double digit dollar value, which wouldn't be bad. Nick, also in your National League Central Division outlook, you noted that Milwaukee closer John Axford kind of picked up where he left off last year. He blew the save on opening day, allowing a game tying homer. Then he gave up two more home runs in his second game, albeit in a non save situation. I guess two questions here, Nick. Should Axford owners be worried? And if so, where's the opportunity to roster his next uh, replacement? Well, I think maybe Axford owners should be worried. I mean, we saw last year when Axford hit a, hit a rough stretch, he was there for a while. It took him a while to get himself straightened out. He did eventually do that, but Axford led the majors last season with nine blown saves. He struggled in spring training, allowed nine hits, five run runs, and only seven and two-thirds innings. So he's in a situation right now where he's not pitching very well. And it may take him a little time to get straightened out. Um, the thing to remember if you're an Axford owner and have got a reserve list is he came back last year and pitched very well after he had been deposed as closer and ended up getting the role back. So you know, he's not the kind of guy I think I would drop right away. Uh, I think I would tuck him on a reserve list and, and wait and see what happens with him. Because even if he is deposed over the next uh, week or so as closer, he's likely to be back in there before long. The, the replacement, the obvious replacement is set-up man Jim Henderson, who's, if you look at Jim Henderson's numbers, they're great. 13.2 DOM last year, 3.5 command, 155 BPV. Looks like this guy could move in and close really well. But somehow last year when he got the opportunity, uh, he was not able to convert saves. Uh, converted only three out of seven save situations last year, and so they were looking for a closer again after he'd only been in there about less than a week. So... Uh, Henderson, maybe maybe a second time around in the closer role, he would do better. Uh, but I think there's still that issue of, is this a guy who can, uh, in a safe situation, actually get the job done? So the, the skills are there. Uh, whether he's a good guy to put into a safe situation or not, I guess we, we may find out if Axford keeps on struggling. Henderson had a fairly decent ERA last year, over three and a half or so. His expected ERA was actually under three, so he could be a decent gamble in that respect. I think the interesting thing about his situation, as you suggest, is he's he failed at it before, but maybe having had the experience, he'll be a little more relaxed about it. Also, what about Mike Gonzalez? You know, Mike Gonzalez is a, is a possibility. I mean, he's had uh, he's had closing experience before, so uh, Mike Gonzalez is someone that uh, that might get thrust into there. But Gonzalez last year, an excellent dom last year, nine point eight, but he struggled with his control. Walked four batters per nine innings. Uh, had a rough first outing for the Brewers. Allowed two earned runs and three hits in one inning that he pitched and took the loss. Uh, in so in the first time out for the Brewers, so uh, they may be a little hesitant to trust him right away in that situation. 
Uh, he's going to have to show more. He, at this point, he's not showing anything better than Axford's doing. So, Nick, longtime listeners to the show will know that one of my favorite columnists at BaseballHQ.com is Stephen Nickrand, who writes our Starting Pitchers Buyer's Guide column. His column this week is about what he calls six starters, guys who are first in line to step up if somebody in the rotation falters because of an injury or poor performance. In 2012, Stephen pointed out, the average starting rotation in Major League Baseball, and this is quite surprising, had 244 innings thrown by starters who weren't in the rotation at the start of the season. That's a lot of innings. Only three teams, Cincinnati, San Francisco, and Washington, had starters who are not opening day starters throw more than 100 innings. So there's clearly opportunity here, and one of the many intriguing names that Stephen identified is Arizona right-handed swingman Josh Kalmenter. Yeah, Josh Colmetter is a guy that, that pitched very well on a swing roll last year. Uh, his skills were, were outstanding. Uh, 8.0 DOM, 2.2 control, uh, 99 BPV, 37% ground ball rate. So a lot of things, good things going on with Josh Colmetter. He just didn't quite make the rotation. Uh, so Josh Colmetter is a guy certainly to watch. And if you look at, uh, if you look at the, uh, the line already for this season, Okay, Josh Colmetter pitching out of the bullpen has seven innings pitched already, seven strikeouts, uh, has allowed, I think, one earned run. Uh, so he started off the season very, very well. The, where he got of those innings was that marathon game with uh, with the Cardinals the other night. He pitched five innings and, and got the win. So Josh Colmetter is uh, certainly ready to step into a starting role uh, if there's a, an opening at all in the uh, in the uh, Arizona rotation. And it's a guy that they certainly would trust doing that at least for a short period of time. Well, any lineup that has Brandon McCarthy in it is is certainly facing at least some injury risk. I can, and they've got two youngsters in there as well. So I think Callmetric could easily get some full time starts. And if not, like you say, I mean, he's if he's getting a strikeout an inning, even in a kind of a long relief role, he might get you ninety innings, uh, ninety strikeouts. That wouldn't be bad either. No, not at all. It's certainly have, going to have a decent uh, decent ERA and decent WHIP. So not a bad guy to roster and maybe even some vulture wins. Nick, thanks for joining us this week. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes our regular National League Central Division Outlook at BaseballHQ.com, and, of course, he's our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn over to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. PD, thanks. I'm in the Garden District here in New Orleans, home of the NOLA Zephyrs, the AAA team of the Miami Marlins. Uh, they're going to be an interesting team to watch given uh, how bad the Marlins are because a lot of them are going to get shots this year. Yeah, either that or they're going to be very terrible at AAA level because the Major League team isn't that good either. But it's uh, always fun to be in New Orleans, uh, add a baseball game to it, can't be much better. Uh, before we start talking about the players this week, uh, first week of baseball. I know you were in Cincinnati for opening day. How was that? That was a lot of fun. The weather was cold, but having lived in Milwaukee for as long as I did, uh, it, it was it was something I expected, and uh, it could have been a lot worse. And of course, the Angels won, and I'm a, I'm an Angel fan, as you know. So uh, more the better. Dennis was a great host. Cincinnati has great fans. Yeah, we talked baseball all day. I mean, just just a, a terrific opening day. Did you get a chance to see the opening day parade? I hear that's quite something. Yeah, we did. We spent, uh, I think we watched about three quarters of it, uh, and then when we saw the uh, the pigs come by for the third time, we decided, ah, let's go, get, go have some lunch and get a beer and go to the game. And speaking of which, I understand you were in a restaurant and you saw Mike Trout. Yeah, we did. Mike was uh, eating at a table in back of the restaurant. We didn't notice him at first. He was pretty unassuming and low-key. 
Um, we were sitting next to Jose Moda and Mark Langston, who work radio and TV for the Angels, who we, who we noticed and we were talking to. And as Mike was leaving, he waved to them, and we noticed it was Mike Trout. And we, you know, obviously we kicked ourselves for not noticing earlier. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Cincinnati's a small burg, and you keep running into players and announcers and people with the team and uh, striking up casual conversations. Uh, uh, it's, it's opening day weekend. It's just great. Mike Trout's a big guy, hey? He's wide, that's for sure. He's, uh, I'll tell you what, he's not that tall, though, and uh, unlike a lot of the players there, um, he really doesn't stand out until you focus on who it is, and then you size him up, and he's, you know, he's interesting. Well, my wife and I were watching the Reds-Angels games, uh, game two. Somebody hit a long drive to center field, and Trout ran it down fairly easily right at the fence, and they took a close-up shot of him, and my wife said, he looks more like a football player than a baseball player. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you watch him. You, we watched him walk out. We actually watched them line up on opening day. We were sitting right behind third base and home plate. And you look at uh, you look at the width of some of the bodies on that third baseline, and he really stood out then. I bet he did. Uh, Jock, let's stay with the uh, American League West. Uh, the Texas Rangers, in particular, made a big splash financially by signing Elvis Andrews to a big extension, eight years, one hundred twenty million dollars. He'll have an opt out after two thousand eighteen when he's thirty years old, but. It looks like the Rangers are throwing in their lot with Elvis Andrus as their shortstop for the foreseeable future at least, and that has big playing time ramifications up and down the Texas lineup. Let's start with what does this mean for Jerickson Profar? This is an interesting situation. It wasn't totally anticipated, and, and as I think both you and I know, Profar's the real deal. He could be playing anywhere for almost any major league team, perhaps other than Arlington. Uh, Andrus is a better defender at shortstop, so if, if Profar stays in in Texas, which most people think he will, um, his future is obviously at second base. Now, there's still a lot of talk about potentially Texas trading Profar for maybe one of the bigger outfield names out there, given that that's where their their weak their longer term weaknesses seem to be. But right now in Texas, his um, his future's at second base, and of course that's where Ian Kinsler is. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. If Profar is going to be the second baseman of the future, what what does that mean about Ian Kinsler in the near term, and and uh, well, especially in the near term for this season, but as we look down the road as well. Well, that's an interesting situation too, because Kinsler was just signed to a long term contract. I don't have the deals in front of me, but I think he's signed for the next four or five years. And Kinsler's offensive value at second base is terrific. I don't think it's that good at first base. Not as good, certainly not as good as it, 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 as it is in the middle infield. Um, he's a career 258 uh, hitter against right-handed pitchers, and he's actually slugged under 400 versus righties in three of his past five seasons. Um, it, the thought in Texas is, is is that if Profar comes up, Kinsler will move to first base, and from a fantasy perspective, I'm not sure he's that valuable there. Nor from a regular baseball perspective either. You I mean you want a little bit more pop out of that first base spot? Ian Kinsler, by the way, did sign a five-year extension. He's he's on the roster now through 2017 at roughly 15 million a year. So that's a pretty significant investment. But in the modern uh, uh, fiscal reality, shall we say, of baseball with all of these uh, regional sports deals coming in, 15 million for an Ian Kinsler for the next five years, maybe not so bad. 15 million a year, he might be a tradable commodity, but. I have to tell you, I've heard that first base story as well, Jock, and I drafted Mitch Moreland in my American League only league. Should I be worried here? Well, in the short term, maybe, because a lot of people think that Profar has to play, and he has to play soon. Moreland is a better right-hand, a better hitter against right-handed pitching than Kinsler is now, but when you think about it, given manager Ron Washington's preference for his longtime vets and 
and some sometimes screwy decision making, you can't you can't depend on Moreland Skills winning out over Kinsler over the short term. Uh, it, it's going to be an interesting situation if that if Profar comes up. Yeah, Moreland out hit uh, uh, well out OPS Kinsler by 126 points last season against uh, right-handed pitching 797 to 671. And no matter how much you like a guy, gosh, if you're a manager, you look at 126 OPS points. You really have to take notice of that, don't you? You would think. You would think. But let's face it, uh, uh, Ron Washington last year played Michael Young at third base relentlessly, even when it was very clear that Michael Young was losing it against right-handed pitchers. And also was not a real asset defensively either. You're right about about all of that. So l- let me put you on the spot here. Uh, grab your crystal ball or your magic gate ball or something, and let me ask you, in, in two months' time, what is how is this all going to play out? Well, I think it's going to have to do with injuries because it's it's really going to depend on how Texas plays. Um, my take is that somebody's going to get injured, and there's enough flexibility in that Texas lineup that I think everybody can play. Um, Moreland could move to the outfield and get a little playing time. He could get some time also at, at, at second base. Profar is going to be up. Um, I, I think everybody's going to get there at bats, but I think, uh, you know, if all things are even, I think you might see um, Kinsler get a few more at bats than he should because that's what's been happening the last few years. Didn't Kinsler, uh, when the fir- subject first came up of him moving to first base in the spring training period, did he not say that wasn't interesting to him? That was the story that I heard uh, earlier this spring. He wasn't really thrilled about moving uh, moving to first base. And it was a little surprising that he actually offered that up simply because he signed his deal. And, and that's you know pretty much first and foremost in the minds of most players. So it's not like value was going to be taken from him. Um, right. But um, I, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Jock, your own uh, American League West Division Outlook column this week also looked at the second base spot in Oakland. Yeah, um, that was an interesting situation because at the beginning of spring training, there was a cast of thousands there, and, and, it, and it got whittled down by by injuries and a couple of other items. Uh, Jed Lowry, going into spring training, was expected to spend a lot of time there, but then we had uh, uh, Nakajima's flame out uh, at, at shortstop, and then he supposedly came down with a hamstring injury, which is keeping him out. And Lowry's opening now at shortstop for the A's. Uh, Wiki, Ricky, uh, I'm sorry, Jamile Weeks had a disappointing 2012 and remaining options left, so he's down in the minors. And then you had Adam Rosales' muscle strain, which has kept him out of office. Now, the, the two options left are Eric Sogard, who had a very hot spring and is getting a lot of the playing time there, but still he's only a utility player. And Scott Sizemore, who was being tried out there, he used to be a third baseman, and he's coming off an injury too, still showing some, some signs of rust. Those guys are going to be platooning in the short term. How long that lasts is what's really going to be interesting because, like I said in my column, I'm not sure that anyone on that team is going to get more than 200, 250 at-bats at second base. Maybe they'll make a trade for Ian Kinsler. Yeah, that's a possibility. I'll tell you one name that I didn't mention was Grant Green, and given the defensive liabilities of most of the names I've mentioned, if Green can prove that he can defend in AAA, I wouldn't be surprised to see him up in in July sometime or August and and getting the at-bats. So it sounds like the play here is don't really focus too heavily on anybody who seems to have the front-running spot in Oakland at second base because it could last a week or three days. Uh, I know Eric Sogard has never been a real asset in fantasy, and Sizemore has been hurt so much it's hard to really credit him either. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, If someone looks like they're breaking through, by all means, ride the hot hand. But uh, 
I don't see too many names here that that is are are, are just going to get hot and stay hot, and uh, particularly on the defensive side on the ball. I mean, Oakland Oakland basically relies on pitching. And uh, not a lot of good defenders in this group. Another division outlook at BaseballHQ.com in the American League side was Chris Olson looking at the East. And, of course, how can you look at the East and not talk about Jackie Bradley, who hit his way onto the Red Sox roster this spring? I'm going to be talking with Todd Zola in our feature interview about the top ESPN ads and drops in their leagues. And, of course, Jackie Bradley Jr. is the top ad for the week. Do you think he's worth it? Well, the problem that Bradley has, uh, and, and this came out a couple of days after uh, uh, Chris's column this week, uh, John Farrell said Wednesday uh, of this week on radio that Ortiz's return by mid-April or, or just a couple of weeks from now is a realistic time frame. Now, if that happens, it's, it's, uh, Jackie Bradley's kind of the obvious choice to be sent down. You know, plus the Red Sox have a strong financial incentive to, for, for Bradley to spend at least 20 days in the minors to delay his, uh, his free el- agent eligibility. Now, now, Bradley's been good in the early going. He's only one for six, but he's got three walks and two RBIs. He's clearly doing the little things to help the Red Sox win. Um, I'm not sure Bradley owners right now can depend on him being up uh, by the end of April. Yeah, I saw a couple of Red Sox games as well, and uh, he looks like uh, a major leaguer defensively. He sure made some nice plays out there, always throwing to the right base, took good routes to the fly balls. Uh, He he didn't look out of place. Yeah, no, you're right. He He looks very polished. He's a good contact hitter. He goes up the middle. Like you said, he plays good defense. He can help this team. I, I think now it's all about uh, the salaries of the vets and uh, and how they deal with his service time. Don't you think also, Jock, it'll, a lot might depend on how well Boston does in the standings if they see themselves falling out of the race in May or June and, and think that there's, you know, we're fourth, we've got three good teams ahead of us. They've got Jacoby Ellsbury coming up to his walk time. Maybe they'll think, see if they can trade him to get something, to uh, trade him to a contender, and that could... Uh, create a path to playing time for Bradley, who appears to be the center field heir apparent. Yeah, the, how the Red Sox do this year is always going to be a factor, and you're right. Um, a lot of people, including myself, expect uh, expect the Red Sox to see uh, what they can get for Jacoby Ellsbury come uh, late May, June, uh, July, before the trading deadline. Uh, Jackie Bradley is going to be playing these last two, three months of the season. There's no doubt about it. The question is, is, is how much is he going to play and how long is he going to be up this first half of the year? So if you grab him now, at least you might have him for July, August, September. That that could be a, a reason to throw a couple extra bucks into your fab bid. Uh, before we get off this topic, what about Johnny Gomes, Daniel Nava, Mike Carp, guys like that? How does Bradley affect them? The interesting thing is um, Johnny Gomes has been pushed to DH for uh, to start the season um, with with uh, uh, Ortiz coming back. If Ortiz does come back in, in mid-April, as Farrell suggested, uh, Gomes will get more time in left field if indeed uh, Bradley is the guy sent down. I think the interesting thing was um, that Boston uh, cut Ryan Sweeney, dropped him. He was picked up by the Cubs this week, and uh, which means there's, there's still some left-handed at-bats to be had uh, by guys like Daniel Nava and, and Mike Carp. And we've got to see how that plays out because, let's face it, with guys like that, it's he who gets hot who is going to play. And Gomes uh, has pretty much established that he can't hit that right-handed pitching, so maybe that there is going to be a platoon situation develop, and so the question is, who's the other side of the platoon? Is it Nava, Carp, or somebody else? Yeah, that's right. Bob Berger looked at the Central Division, and in particular, the closing situation in Detroit looked like Phil Coke got the first shot. 
not so good uh, results in the second try, though. It's kind of interesting. It's it's obviously too early to jump to any conclusions about what what's happened so far. There's been a lot of cold weather. There's been a lot of bullpen implosions. Coke has pitched all of one inning total in his two appearances. And, and that game winner yesterday looked like a ball that might have been caught. But if you look at Coke's profile, it, it just really doesn't scream closer. That he, He's a lefty. He's allowed a, a, a 301 career batting average against, uh, against right-handed hitters and a strikeout-to-walk ratio of, of less than two. Um, I can certainly see Coke as part of a committee in Detroit, and he's obviously a, a Jim Leyland favorite right now. But the Tigers have a lot of talented arms in this pen, and if you're going to bet on just one of them, I don't think it's Coke. I I, I think if you, you know you can bet on them to get maybe seven or eight saves while this committee lasts. But uh, boy, when you're looking at guys like uh, uh, Benoit and, and Rondon and, and Albuquerque and uh, and even Brian Riel, um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure Coke Coke is going to be the guy that saves twenty to thirty games this year. They're all interesting candidates. Uh, Dotel is in that mix as well, and uh, and you have uh, weaknesses with all of them. The, uh, at the same time, as they all have certain strengths. Uh, Albuquerque has trouble finding the plate. Rondon had terrible trouble finding the plate. That's why they sent him down after anointing him as closer in the first place. All of these guys, ha- each of these guys, has a wart or two uh, that you have to account for, and. Um, Leland is an old-fashioned manager. He stuck with Phil Coke in a very high-pressure situation in the last part of last year. Maybe Phil Coke has a little bit longer of a leash than we think. No, I think you're right. I think Coke's going to get more chances in the early going, and my and my only question is how he's going to do in them, uh, particularly in that lefty-righty matchup. Uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And finally, Stephen Nickrand has a starting pitcher's buyer's guide column at uh, BaseballHQ.com. Does a great job looking at the starters. Uh, his most recent column looked at six starters, the guys that are likely to see the opportunity when those first rotation injuries or poor performances hit. And uh, one name that really popped out at me is a guy that's been on many a fantasy roster of mine, Jeff Neiman in Tampa. Yeah, Neiman's a real interesting guy because um, in his last extended MLB effort, uh, he was very ace-like. And this was back in, in the second half in 2011. Uh, last year, he obviously had a lost season. He got hit by that comebacker and, and, and uh, broke his lower fibula and was out pretty much all year. Um, and, and it's funny, the numbers suggest that Neiman had a fine spring. He had a 2.92 ERA. Uh, a 17 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio in 25 innings but two things seemed to throw Tampa Bay this spring and that is his diminished velocity he was pitching at 87 88 miles an hour for most of the spring and then there was the signing of free agent Roberto Hernandez who we who we used to know as as Fausto Carmona um they awarded Carmona the 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 number 5 job out of spring I'm not sure how long that's going to last I mean we both know that Carmona can throw ground balls but other than that um he doesn't really have a lot going for him. I noticed that in uh, in 2012, before that line drive, Neiman was off to a pretty good start. He had a 3.08 ERA, a 1.11 WHIP, and that kind of built on that success you talked about in the second half of 2011. So it was a really unfortunate thing for Jeff Neiman. I think Jeff Neiman could be, if there's such a thing as a sleeper for a guy who's obviously an established pitcher, he might be it. This this guy had and has shown some really good skills and really good results. 
No, I agree with you, uh, PD. And uh, and again, if his velocity comes back, I don't think it's going to take very long or much time for him to get that number five spot. Now, the one thing I will say, I think both Neiman and Hernandez have to worry about Chris Archer because this is a guy with better stuff than both of them, and he looked really good this spring as well. Well said, Jocko. Uh, so Cincinnati early in the week, New Orleans late in the week. Where When are you going home? Uh, we're going to be home on Monday. We're coming home just in time to watch the Angels on opening day Tuesday night, so I will be in the stands to watch them play the A's. All right, that sounds like a, a great time for you. Sounds like you're enjoying some baseball early in the season. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time and talk to you about it all. Okay, PD, thanks a lot. Oh, you're welcome. That's Jock Thompson, the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, the team analyst for the three Southern California Major League teams, writes the Keeper column during the preseason and the American League West Outlook during the season. is isn't anything that Jock Thompson doesn't do. Our interview segment with Todd Zola from MastersBall.com and ESPN comes up next. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. And the pitch swung on in a high drive center field. Jones is going back. He turns. He looks. And that ball is history. Josh Hamilton has hit his fourth home run of the ball game. All of them two run shots. Eight RBIs for Hamilton. And four home runs. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick David. It's a pleasure now to be joined by a frequent guest of Baseball HQ Radio and one of our favorites, it's Todd Zola from MastersBall.com. Todd, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Patrick. Before we start talking about players and how to manage your team and stuff, I heard that your uh, NFBC draft and the Tout Wars uh, draft uh, resulted in you having a very long couple of days. Yeah, it was fun. It kind of it made, it made the rounds on Twitter, mainly because everybody wanted to make sure I was able to take a shower after the red eye coming in Saturday night. To, uh, to draft on Sunday, and I did, thanks to the O'Connell Lodge in the Newark near the Newark Airport. They were very accommodating. I had to pay a couple bucks, but but they were you know they let me rent the room for a few minutes and uh, and take care of that. But yeah, I um it was the 10th anniversary of the NFBC, and I hadn't made it out to Vegas for a few years, so I wanted to make it out for that. And I really missed the AL and NL only auctions from uh, the from the NFBC. But they were the same weekend as Tut Wars, and I really like Tut Wars too. So I had to find. Uh, fortunately, there's three airports that I could fly into, so I had to find the the red eye that would get me to New York City on time. And I was actually in the Sirius XM studios at nine nine p.m. nine a.m. on Sunday doing a uh, doing an interview on on on, uh, on air. So we uh, it worked out well. Probably not the first hotel in New Jersey that rented on an hourly basis. I I just was very careful to just tiptoe just to the shower, and I did not really want to know what else was going on. But, yeah, perhaps. And how did your drafts go? Uh, especially, I'm curious about the second one, because you start running out of gas, uh, you know, from fatigue alone. I wonder how you manage that. Um, actually, it was, it, was the, uh, it was on the ride home that I, that I had to pull over and, uh, and take a little nap at a rest stop. I was okay for the actual draft, because I can sleep on planes for whatever reason. Lucky. But, um... I think they went well. It's hard to, you know, obviously right now it's hard to say. No one's no one's hurt so far, which is good. So um, I, I, I'm fairly pleased. It was an interesting contrast between the the high stakes NL only auction and the Tout Wars. Somewhat more conservative, but still there were some uh, some high bids in that auction as well. But it's the, the experts tend to be a little more conservative with with the bids. So I thought I found the team wasn't really the same because I, uh, you know, it was. Slightly different 
But um, then the you know I I was all right with the uh, I was able to stay awake to the end game. For listeners who aren't familiar with the uh, the NFBC's single league high stakes auction format, how does that work? What what are the stakes and and what are the what's up for grabs? It's uh it's a single single league. There's only one of each, which is I I, I think is a bummer, but you know good for the NFBC for for having so many other contests that sort of drown these out. There's one AL league, one NL league. There's twelve in each now with the NL uh, or losing Houston and used to be thirteen. And uh, it's just, you know, a standalone, you know, not private, but, you know, a private league, so to speak, uh, 1,300 to enter. And I actually won the NL auction the last couple of years I was in it. Like I said, I haven't gone out for a couple of years. So there were two defending champions at this year's NL auction, uh, which was kind of fun. Um, it, you know, it's just no trading, same as, same as all the other high stakes, no trading, but there's fab and, and that sort of thing. So it's, uh, it makes for an interesting... Uh, an interesting dynamic with the no trading because you know tout wars and labor, et cetera, we are allowed to trade. Uh, but on the other hand, in a single league, when you're not worrying about an overall competition like the rest of the National Fantasy Baseball Championship, you can you can do your strategies where you might not worry about saves or batting average or or steals or something like that, and 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 still win the league where you might not win an overall competition by doing that. There's still some interesting strategies that go on. Uh, that way, so um, and I, I, there were a few of us that did them both. I just I used to do them. I used to do them both and and and, and missed them. So uh, pulled it off this weekend or last weekend. And how do you mentioned that there are certain pricing differences and uh, philo- philosophical differences, for want of a better term, between the tout single league drafts and the NFBC single league drafts? I'm just wondering who was the top guy, to, uh, the top price paid in the NFBC draft, and how did that price compare with the top guy in, in your tout draft? I don't know the exact numbers. Um, I, I, I trout went very high, and I don't know the the, the tout wars uh, prices for trout and Miggy Cabrera because I was. I was in Vegas at the time, and I actually haven't gone and taken a look at them because I'm still doing one more week's worth of content for my site because uh, a lot of drafts are coming up this weekend. Uh, but uh, Braun, Braun stuck at 39 at both, which I found to be uh, a little bit interesting. But it was more of the uh, more of the pitchers that were uh, going into the 30s in the uh, in the high stakes. In the closers went for a little bit more than than they did in the uh, in the in the tout. Out, the, the, the pitchers stayed a little bit lower. I don't know that any pitcher. I think Clayton Kershaw may have cracked the 30s, but that's what I found more off. More the biggest difference was the the, the top end starting pitchers went a little bit higher in uh, the NFBC high stakes, and I'm not surprised because even in the drafts, the NFBC pitchers go a lot earlier than they do when the industry gets together. You also write for ESPN.com, and you had a column out. That was uh, guys that I love. You opened with uh, that old Motown song, uh, "My Guy," and uh, you talked about a few of those guys. Did you get any or all of them? I got a lot of them. Uh, I got my my man Josh Rutledge, who I'm uh, overly invested in, and, and and we'll see what happens. I got uh, I got Alan Craig, who I think the difference between how I feel about Alan Craig and how others feel about Alan Craig is mainly playing time, and I feel he's going to play. 150 plus games, and he's not the injury-prone specimen that a lot of other play, uh, people think that he is. So I actually did, and uh, I actually did get a lot of the, uh, a lot of the. Uh, I don't want to use the word targets because I don't know that I target them, 
but you, you know, let's not be naive. We, there are guys that we just know we like better than market, and we're going to end up with them. Uh, I don't know. You know I said don't target them, but I have, I have a good feel that I'm going to get them. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola from MastersBall.com. Todd, I'd like to talk to you about managing pitchers. This is something that's become more and more important as leagues adopt a rule that allows you to move pitchers in and out of your lineup to take advantage of two start weeks. Uh, Some leagues even allow you to swap them out daily and you can increase your innings and strikeouts that way. In formats that allow it, how important is pitcher management to winning your league? Uh, I think it's quite important and it shouldn't be overlooked. Um, several, you know, there's several different ways to go with it. First off, all save, contrary to popular belief, all saves are not created equal. To uh, to sort of summarize it in, in real quick way, if you put closes into three classes, the first class will help your ratios. The middle class, they're going to stay the same, and the third class will hurt your ratios. And the help is going to be one or two points. If you, the Kimbrels and the Chapmans. And, and even Mo Rivera, although he hurts you a little bit in strikeouts, they help your ratios one or two points each, and that's two to four points total. And the same can be said if you on the other end with the closers that have well above average ratios, they're going to cost your team some points. So that's sort of the first thing to sort of just keep in the back of your mind, that all saves are not created equal, and that kind of folds into what you need to do as far as your staff. But um, I find that, Certain pitchers I'm, I'm putting in and I'm not touching. I don't care where they are. But then there's some back end pitchers where you can turn a you know you can turn a three eight guy ERA into a three four ERA guy by playing him at home uh, or, or against in good matchups in, in, in decent pitching parks. And that's where I think you need to make up your uh, make up a little bit of the difference as far as that goes. Maybe four or five guys and two or three of them. Uh, you have four or five guys available and two or three of them each week. You're playing the matchups. You wrote a pretty interesting article. It was quite a while back about calculating which pitchers you should start in a week. Looking at things like you mentioned, home versus away, uh, the caliber of the opposition, handedness of the lineups, pitcher actual pitcher skills, and so on. Do you remember that column? And can you just briefly explain how it worked? It was a, pre- a point system, right? Now, yeah, I actually have a similar point system to draft your team, but basically, uh, just like we said, it, it's you, you, know, you, you get a target ERA in your mind, and you're going to have some pitchers that you're going to leave in there no matter what that are going to be under that ERA, under that target ERA, including some closers. So now you have a rough idea of what you need on the, on the top end, what, what, what's the maximum ERA and, and whip that you can get to keep your team ERA at the level where you need it to, to get whatever, you know, Third, third place points, fourth place points, depending upon where you want to finish and, and relative to how strong your offense is. So that uh, that just had to do with looking at in, in, in the pitchers and sometimes looking at their K rates and the walk rate. Sometimes we just look at a name and we have a, a perception. So by making it a little bit more objective, quali- quantitative, you may find a gem or two that you may not have started previously, but you will start now because of the, you know the points say to start them and you you folks have a a similar matchup with your starting pitches too that uh, a system that's similar idea we, we both use similar ideas but it's kind of different metrics to come up to the same conclusions as far as what pitches to start by you guys i mean hq uh, it's sort of that idea um kind of take some of the bias out of the decision 
Yeah, as I remember the the article, the uh, the idea was, as you said, you had f- you've got four or five starting pitchers that you can rotate in and out on a usually on a weekly basis, and we'll assume that's what we're talking about. And you look at each of them and you say, okay, this guy's pitching against you know Houston and Pittsburgh. That's a that's a guy that is likelier to succeed and have good numbers than if he's you know going up against the two top hitting squads in the league, Cincinnati in Cincinnati for park and and lineup reasons and so on. And you give ones, zeros, or minus ones on all of these various factors, and then you total them up and you say, well. Pitcher A has got 12 points. I want to. I want him in there this week, and pitcher B is minus three or minus two. I don't want him in there this week. Right, yeah. Handed, handedness isn't so much. That's more for batters because you're not really sure what the lineup's going to be. But, uh, you know, you try to find a single number that, that's easy to find, so maybe it's OPS. So you, you rank the teams by OPS, and that's where you get the plus and minus one in the parks. And it's always difficult to determine – you know, a hot team versus a cold team. Uh, is a team just, you know, on a, on a nice, you know, lucky streak or did they win a couple of one-run games or are they truly playing well? So you have to factor that into the, into it as well. And, you know, a strikeout pitcher, uh, if a team strikes out a lot, is, is often a good, a, good, a good number. Something that's coming into play, it's more for the daily, daily games and daily moves. There's just so much information out there now. But you can literally look at the umpire, and you can look at the umpire's tendencies and determine if a pitcher is going to have a, a good matchup uh, that particular day. Like I said, that's more for the, either the daily games or the daily moves in a year-long Roto League. But that people are doing it. you got to look for every edge you can nowadays. And I take from what you said earlier, under no circumstances are you benching Justin Verlander or Clayton Kershaw or David Price. No, you see, I want to take, a, I want to take Clayton Richard and turn him from a four guy into the 2.8 that he has at career at Petco. I don't want to take Justin Verlander, his 2-6, and I don't want to figure out how to make him in a 2-1 because I can just as easily make him into a 2-9 uh, ERA. And, uh, you know, I go into it sort of saying to myself, I'm getting, you know, 230 innings of a 2.6 ERA from Verlander. I'm getting, you know, 220 innings of a 3.4 or 5 ERA from Shields or whoever my, my anchors are. And... I use that as the basis. Now, could could you cleverly improve that? Perhaps, but you know, you got to start. You got to have a base somewhere. You got to have a foundation of something, and those guys are my foundations. And I don't I don't mess around with that. We're going to talk also about something that's kind of related to this this pitcher uh, streaming, they call it, and that's roster churn in general. It's something of a mantra in the business. Most websites, most experts say you got to be patient about making permanent roster changes. But could you make the argument that in a, especially in a shallow league format, 15 or fewer mixed leagues, a smart, a smart manager maybe should be pretty aggressive on the free agent wire because there are so many free agents available in the early going because roles are fuzzy and, and uh, injury situations are fuzzy coming out of spring training. Is it perhaps a wiser move to be aggressive early if you're in a shallow league? Absolutely, and this is kind of a uh, harbinger of my upcoming ESPN column for next week. Uh, I absolutely think so, especially with like spots in the lineup and surprise players, for instance, Colin Cowgill sort of coming on. The last we heard was Jordani Valdespin was going to be the center fielder, and now it's Colin Cowgill. Uh, something that's very interesting to me is if, you're, if you have one of those speedster guys, if you take maybe to Juan Pierre, it looks like he may be platooning, 
but Ben Revere is hitting at the top of the lineup, whereas we weren't sure where he where he was going to hit. So suddenly, if you've got Juan Pierre as your as your speedster guy and and and, and Revere's available, you may want to make that flip right now because Revere's going to get more playing time and and uh, you know Pierre's going to get less than than maybe we thought a couple of weeks ago. Stuff like that. Nick Markakis is leading off. Now you know that that may not he's not a stolen base guy, but you know that may be a few more plate appearances uh, per year for him and, and score some more runs. So if you if he was a fringe player, if he was on reserve, and, and a lot of these leagues, Yahoo and ESPN are, are ten team are ten team mixed leagues, and these are your fringe players. Or even if you're able to uh, make weekly moves and you have a couple of fungible outfield outfield spots, Marquez could be on the fringe and. If he's going to bat first, that's going to be some extra plate appearances. So I definitely think you should you could look early on for uh, for those sorts of things to find out some edges. And I'll even look to improve my you know I look at my active roster. I see no one in DL. Oh, I don't care. I go. I move on. Get to look at the reserves too, because at some point, as we all know, someone's going to get hurt. Actually, one third of your roster is going to get hurt. You're going to need a replacement. Get the replacement now. Upgrade your reserves now. So when he does get hurt in May and June, you already have a better reserve to, to put him in, and you're not picking from the May or June reserve wire. You're picking from the April reserve wire to replace him. With that said then, Todd, what stats or skill markers do you monitor to make your own roster decisions about whether you want to replace a player or pick a player off free agent wire or so forth? What, what are you looking for as far as skills are concerned? Yeah, at this point, I mean, it's it's we don't know what's, what's going to stabilize, whatever. I'm a strikeout and walk guy for pitchers and hitters, and it, even this, it takes a little while, but it takes less time for contact rates and, and play patience to stabilize. So I kind of go by that. I'll look at the strikeouts and the walks of a player as opposed to uh, anything else. I mean, you know Babbitt's going to come up or down, that sort of thing. But um, if, just to find out how a hitter might be doing. And even then, in, in a, you know, he just is facing a, you know, he's facing a pitching staff that had a few lefties or, or, or whatever, who knows. Uh, it's still a little bit difficult early on, but if I have to peg one one stat early on, I'm going to look at strikeouts for hitters and, 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 and walks to a lesser degree, but mostly strikeouts, and definitely for pitchers. If you're looking at your uh, if you're looking at your your pitching line and you see six innings with four runs, but if you see I don't know six strikeouts with one walk, that's what you should be, should be focusing on. Like Marco Estrada, for instance. Don't don't if you have Estrada, don't panic. He gave up some runs, but he also had a great walk-to-strikeout ratio. So, you know, he's going to be fine. I drafted, as you did, uh, Josh Rutledge, and I know you targeted him in plenty of your drafts. Uh, it was in your column. He's off to a good start for batting average, over three fifty, I think, as we speak, but that's based on a five hundred BABIP uh and he's already got five strikeouts and no walks in a couple of games. Now, I know a couple of games, three games, is way too soon to make a call on a guy like Rutledge, but how long is your rope on a young guy like this, say versus an older, more experienced player who was having exactly the same results but had four or five years of, of previous experience that you could look at? See, that's part of, part of what I was saying before as far as looking at the reserve list. I'm already looking at the reserve list for a middle infielder, because the guy that I may have, you know, I may have taken Mark Ellis or something like that to, to be my insurance for Rutledge, but there's going to be someone that emerges, maybe Brian Dozier, I don't know. Someone will emerge, uh, and, and even if I don't need him yet, I get to have that guy there. I'm not sure how long the rope is. I think my rope is fairly long because one of the reasons that I, I, I'm high on him is I don't know who else is going to play in Colorado. 
uh, DJ Mayhew and, 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 and Nelson. I don't. I think his rope is long. Therefore, my rope's going to be long. And I'm not the walks. He doesn't walk. That's yep. just a given. But his contact is still. It's it's in the 80s. It's 82, 83 percent, which isn't fantastic, but it's not terrible right. either. So you know, put him in cores. I think that the slumps. What you don't want is a slump. That's what you're worried about with a, with a guy that doesn't walk. I don't see a prolonged slump out of him, which is my biggest concern. So my rope's kind of long because I think Colorado's rope's kind of long. And, man, if he hits second in that lineup for 150 games, we're talking 2020, which is kind of kind of where I'm going with what we're hoping from Rutledge. I took a look at the ad drop lists at ESPN.com based on their 10-team mixed leagues. And I'd like your comments on some of the guys who are the top ads. The most added player, this will come as no surprise, is Boston outfielder Jackie Bradley Jr. What do you, what do you think of him as a top ad? Yeah, as you know, and, and the listeners will soon know, I'm from Boston and actually watched a, couple, watched a couple games. I didn't see him a whole lot during spring, but I was very impressed with what I saw. Now, he's not going to be the full-time left fielder, even when, you know, if David Ortiz comes back. He, at best, he'll be a, a platoon with Johnny Gomes. So if you're in a 10-team league, you, you still you want a guy that plays full-time. And he might be playing full-time until Ortiz is back. But once Ortiz is back, if he's still hot, he may stay up. Because Johnny Gomes is not a, you know, he's a platoon player at best. So, I mean, but, but you know, ESPN and those sort of places, they, they, they chase the new shiny toy. And that's a lot of what that is. But in the in the deeper leagues, in the uh, in the leagues where platoon players are, are where bats are currency, he's going to play. So I think he, he's a viable, a viable you know fourth fifth utility outfielder in in AL only formats that sort of thing. I don't know that I'm counting on him to be my mixed league uh, surprise though. I was talking about Jackie Bradley Jr. in our American League segment just a few minutes ago with Jock Thompson, and the point came up that. Depending on your league's reserve rules, getting Jackie Bradley now might not be bad because down the road, if Boston struggles, they may be looking to wheel Jacoby Ellsbury, and Bradley then maybe could get all the at-bats in center field from June on or from July on. And those are the perfect players in AL only, is to to get a guy now that could play you know, the second half of the year. Because what it allows you to do as well is you don't have to hoard your fab for the come, the guy that comes over from the National League. If you've got a guy like Jackie Bradley, he, he could be your equivalent of the guy that comes over in a trade. So you can, you know, you can get the replacements now, so you're still strong at the All Star break or the trade deadline. And then Jackie Bradley's your your the equivalent of your of your acquisition to help put you over the top. Three of the top ten ads on those ESPN lists are pitchers who were in the running for their team saves and now starts to look very solid in that respect. Uh, the Mets, Bobby Parnell, Phil Coke in Detroit, Mitchell Boggs in St. Louis. How do you like either or any of those guys? I've had well, I've had Parnell in the in the beginning since a guy that again I don't target him, but I had a suspicion I would be getting him because I I don't know I just think he's going to be the closer there and I trust his skills. Um, and the you know the Mets will get some saves. Actually, right now it looks like we're getting about 162 of them. But um, the uh, I, so Parnell has been on my list of of, of you know, second tier closers anyway. Now Coke, who knows? I mean, he didn't, he didn't look so great yesterday. Understand? I understood that uh, Jose Valverde has now been signed to a minor league contract from Detroit. So who knows how that's going to turn out? Uh, Boggs, 
saw him, you know, blew the save last night, but then came on and, you know, kept him in the game for a couple innings. If Jason Mott is out for an extended period of time, I think the guy you want is Trevor Rosenthal. I mean, at some point, you know, Boggs is going to get exposed as a closer, and Rosenthal's the Army one. Now, if it's a short period of time, you know, Boggs can do just fine. But if for whatever reason they turn out Jason Mott's out for months and not weeks, I got a suspicion Trevor Rosenthal is the Army want from that bullpen. There were also a couple of starting pitchers that were heavily added. Kyle Loesch makes a lot of sense because he finally signed in Milwaukee, and we all know that Kyle Loesch is a quality arm. But what about Hyun Jin Ryu in uh, in Los Angeles? The Dodgers have a very strong starting rotation. He's now a part of it. How solid do you think he is in there? Uh, you know what? Who knows? Honestly, I mean, I know you're looking for a for a better answer than that, but that's the only. I mean, that's honestly the best answer one can give is we just don't know. He comes from the the Korean league, which we when we do translations, we assume the Japanese leagues are one of them is like double A and one of them is in between double and single uh, double and triple A. When we try to you know do our MLEs for for the, those pitchers, I did, I didn't know what to do, so I just took him and I I, I pretended he played on an average double A team and did the translations. Um, I, I think he's a great speculative pick when you can do the reserves, because you've got the protection of Dodger Stadium, which is a good stadium, so you can stream him at the beginning and, and see how it goes. Uh, I don't, I'm i concerned about the walks. I, as any, Even though they may not have walked a lot of people, that's my main concern when I think the pitcher's coming over. Uh, I don't think he's got the deceptive as deceptive emotion as some of these guys that come over do, uh, so he, he may not have that going for him. But sure, I mean, you're going to need profit somewhere on your roster, and you, you know, you just don't know. I'm not going to jump him up to where I can get a guy. I'd rather have Dylan G than than Rue, but I think I'd probably have rather have Rue than than Chris Narvison, for instance, something like that. The top drops uh, make more sense to me because they're mostly guys I believe look like they were drafted in early drafts uh, three, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, and got dropped now because they just didn't pan out, like Bruce Rondon not getting the saves in Detroit. But there were a couple of names that I saw that are starting players uh, in one, a starting player in one case and a rotation guaranteed rotation guy in another. And I'm wondering why you think they might have got dropped and whether you think it makes sense. The 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 uh, position player. Colby Rasmus in Toronto, starting center fielder,'s got a spot in the lineup. Why is everybody dropping this guy? Well, he had a terrible spring, and everybody gets all nervous. And Anthony Ghost had a fantastic spring, and Rajay Davis is sitting in the wings. And it's not as if he has a history. Now, we, we, we've, we've heard from some people in the Toronto organization that they really, really like Colby Rasmus, and they really, really want him to be the guy. So I think at the beginning, he's going to get a bit of rope. Uh, but in these in these ten team leagues, there's a replacement out there for Colby Rasmus. So that one, in a ten team league, twelve team league, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I'd be you know if someone dropped him in the fifteen team NFBC format that I that I do, I'd be a little more surprised. I'm not. You can put him on your bench and, and put Gerardo Parra in there or, or or Jackie Bradley in there, but I wouldn't. I don't think he's going to be dropped yet. But he doesn't surprise me all that much because he doesn't have the history. We're still betting on the come with him and. Man, it's been five years we've been doing that. And on the pitching side, Ryan Dempster uh, in Boston, again, a reasonably well-established guy, has shown some terrific skills and decent results in the past. Now he's uh, got a lock rotation spot in Boston. He's getting dropped hand over fist. No idea. I mean, I mean it's not as if he, I mean, uh, he didn't have a horrible spring. He didn't have a great spring. He had a, had a good spring. 
at a solid spring. The Red Sox bullpen is outstanding, and it's, that's not coming from a, from a homer. That, that bullpen, you know, you could go five or six innings, and it could be one of those shutdown bullpens where the pitcher can, you know, sit down early and still get a win after five or six innings, which might be good for Dempster. Uh, he doesn't have to necessarily go seven or eight and worry about if he's going to get pinch hit for. Uh, all I can think of, he's a boring guy. He's, you know, he, he's not a sexy name, so maybe when some of these other names like Rue and these pitchers like Loesch, uh became available, you got to drop somebody. So, uh, you know, dropping him, I don't know, because there's no, there's no other real logical reason uh, you know, he, he can he can be on my back into my staff anytime. I think you're right about there's a certain flavor of the day or shiny new toy aspect to things too that somebody looks at Ryan Dempster and goes, "Nah, Ryan Dempster, I'd rather have this new guy that I just heard about." Uh, I think that probably gets into play a lot more than we think, especially in these big public leagues where there's millions of people, a lot of them not paying that much attention. Uh, Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola from MastersBall.com, and Todd, I in the preseason, asked our expert featured guest to give us picks and pans for players for the coming year. Now that the season has started, I'd like your uh, some of your picks for players who might not have solid permanent roles right now, but you think might get those roles later in the season and run with them. Let's start with a hitter in the American League. guy I like is Hank Conger, and he may actually have more of a role right now if he actually could have thrown a little more accurately. Uh, I think they're going to get his bat into the lineup regardless of of his, of his catching now this isn't going to be your your ten team ESPN league this is more for your for your AL only league uh, and I, I you know long I also think Mike Zanino is coming up uh, as well early, sooner than later in Seattle uh, but right now if I get Conger as my second catcher in a very deep league I'm not upset about it how about a hitter in the National League similarly um, well for I, I don't know if Tyler Colvin is cheating or not I think. I think he'll be back. Uh, I, I don't know if it's just a wake-up call or just too much rumor relating to things at second base and third to flesh out a little bit more. I don't see Helton playing the whole year either. But in a similar vein, I like Evan Gaddis of, uh, of, of the Braves. I think that he's uh, going to see some time backing up uh, McCann, and, and there's a chance that he overtakes Laird and, and Sticks as the, as the backup catcher. And he, if not, they could run with they could because he can play a little outfield, and he could be your DH uh, against the American League as well. So a guy, if I have him, if I have Evan right now, he's not eligible a catcher, but if I have Evan Gaddis on my reserve or even as a fifth outfield in a very deep league, I'm not complaining. And Brian McCann was also one of the heavy, heavy drop guys in those ESPN leagues as well. Uh, on the pitching side, how about an American League pitcher you think is looking for a role but is going to be able to get it and run with it? I know he didn't look so good in his first outing, but I'm still a Drew Smiley guy. Uh, I still think that he's going to, uh, at some point, have a difference. I mean, someone's going to get hurt because it doesn't look like they're trading anybody now. But the other guy that, uh, you know, Tampa just seems to, you know, grow pitchers on trees, and I think Christopher Archer uh, will be the first guy that replaces an injured guy or, or something. So uh, Chris Archer's a guy I think is going to make a difference maybe in the second half. Chris Archer's name came up with Jock Thompson in our American League segment earlier as well. How about in the National League, a pitcher you think is going to finally get a role and really do something with it? If, if what they say is true, and if he can stay healthy, uh, it looks like the Padres are going to do a little bit with Andrew Kashner like the Braves did with Medlin, and that is you know work him out of the bullpen in low-pressure situations the first half of the year, and then you know ramp him up and have him start the second half. Now, I'm more concerned. I'm concerned about the health 
excuse me, the health aspect with Kashner. But if he looks healthy in these little, you know, these little inning, short inning stints early in the year, I'm not saying he's going to have a one eight or ERA or whatever Medlin had, but he could be a second half difference maker uh, for your rotation. So Kashner's a guy that if I have a spot and he's available because he's not going to be starting, so I'm going to drop him. Uh, he's a guy I may look at for a second half boost. Todd, before we wrap up, remind our listeners where they can find more of your work, uh, websites, uh, whatever else you got going on. Masters Ball is the home uh, where we're doing uh, some our, our typical daily, you know, free free articles, and I'm doing brought back what we call the box score blitz, something that we did years ago. If anybody out there remembers us doing the box score blitz, a you're old, and, and b you've got a really good memory. Uh, so I'm going to have that. It's just a review of the box scores each day with a little bit of a fantasy tilt. And we, you know, we're keeping up our, our, our platinum content in season. And uh, I do do some uh, writing for the ESPN Insider. So I should, uh, I'm going to continue to do that every other week, do a piece for the ESPN Insider. And I'm um, going to be expanding my freelance. So keep your eyes open. You'll be seeing my, uh, my name in a few, in a few places in the, uh, in the very near future. All right, Todd, thanks very much for doing this. We'll catch up with you again, I'm sure, during the year a couple more times. Absolutely. That's Todd Zola. He writes at mastersball.com, ESPN.com, Insider. And as he said, you've got to keep your eyes peeled because he's going to be popping up all over the place. Our regular commentaries are next. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. This is Ron Chandler. As a listener to this Baseball HQ Radio podcast, you enjoy getting the winner's edge from BaseballHQ.com's information and insight. But the podcast is just the surface. Now I invite you to dive into BaseballHQ.com and to get the complete range of upgraded news, analysis, strategy, and tools for fantasy success. With your subscription, you'll get the latest on probable pitchers, daily matchups, and depth charts, the latest gaming strategies, extensive minor league scouting, up-to-the-minute player skills analysis, online tools you can tailor to your league, and our unsurpassed fantasy baseball research. Joining the BaseballHQ.com community also includes our subscriber forums, sharing the wisdom of thousands of other serious fantasy players and without the name-calling. Plus, we've upgraded our news feed to get you the information you need faster than ever before. Find out about our new flexible subscription plans with a draft prep package or year-long access. Come dive into BaseballHQ.com today. He's sitting on 7-14. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. Baseball HQ Radio. I still get chills every time I hear that Milo Hamilton call of Henry Aaron breaking the Babes record. 
Welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. Matt Beagle is taking the week off. BaseballHQ.com publisher Ron Chandler is on deck with master notes and leading off our minor league minute. BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Philly's left-handed pitching prospect Adam Morgan. Now that most leagues have had their drafts and all the top prospects have been picked over, it's a good time to turn our attention to sleeper prospects who could be valuable free agent pickups. One player who fits that to a T is the Phillies' Adam Morgan, who has some of the best control in the minors. The 23-year-old lefty comes after hitters with a nice four-pitch mix that includes a 91-93 mile-an-hour fastball, a curve, change-up, and an above-average slider. At 6'1", 195 pounds, he isn't going to blow hitters away, but he does know how to pitch and throws tons of strikes. In 2012, Morgan was 8-11 with a 3.35 ERA, with 39 walks and 169 strikeouts in 158 innings. Morgan will start the year at AAA Lehigh Valley, but with John Lannon and Kyle Kendrick at the back end of the Phillies' rotation, and Roy Halladay looking less than 100%, it isn't hard to envision a scenario where Morgan will get a chance to make his major league debut at some point in 2013. Those in deep NL-only formats might consider taking a flyer on Adam Morgan as he could return a nice profit on a small investment. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garapi, and Chris Maloney have reports and updates on the top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. BaseballHQ.com's call-up reports started this week, looking at Ryan Presley, Nate Freeman, Evan Gaddis, and many, many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now let's move to Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com publisher and founder Ron Chandler talking this week about asking the right questions. You are listening to this podcast because you're looking for information. And as an information source, well, that's what our job is. However, you might also say that we are an advisory service. And when we conduct chats, post to forums, or answer emails, our job is to give you advice. I have to tell you, this is one of the most difficult jobs there is. It's not that we don't know the answers to your questions. If you ask us, who's the better pitcher, Jordan Zimmerman or Ross Detweiler, well, we can do that. Of course, it will just be our opinion based on statistical and scouting information, but it's a question we can at least take an educated shot at. The problem is context. With so many different types of league formats, rules, and situational variables, it's nearly impossible to give an accurate answer without immersing ourselves in the intricate dynamics of your particular league. Every Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m., I conduct an online chat at usatoday.com. In these chats, I often find myself answering almost every question with a response that starts with, it depends. One person might ask, is it a good time to swoop in and pick up Bud Norris? My answer, it depends. Who would you have to drop? What are your other options? Do you have room to stow him on a reserve list for bad matchups? Are you in an AL-only league where you'd lose a player if he was traded to the NL? Another person might ask, which of these would be the best replacement for Carlos Ruiz? Suzuki, Buck, Hundley, Kratz, Peña, Moss, Miseraco, and Navarro. 
Well, it depends. Do you need power? Can you sacrifice batting average? Are you trying to minimize damage? Do you want someone with future upside? Do you want someone who you could hang on to as trade bait when Ruiz comes back? I've become so obsessed with trying to answer these questions while tiptoeing around the context that, quite honestly, I occasionally blow one. I remember last September, someone asked me, should I pick up jerks and profar today? And my response was a resounding yes. But wait, what if this guy was in a daily league and needed to know if Profar was going to be recalled in time for that night's game? And would he be facing a favorable pitcher? I hadn't thought of that. And the question gave me no reason to consider it. Or should it have? Should I have read into the fact that his question included the word today? I don't know. And without that little piece of context, it's quite possible I gave out some bad advice. Online chats are terrific venues to connect readers with the writers and get personal questions answered. But remember that you're not going to get the right answer unless you ask the right question. Join me and the other BaseballHQ.com writers in our weekly chat each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And remember to ask the right questions. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ron Chandler. Ron Chandler's Fanalytics column appears every Friday on BaseballHQ.com. This week, Ron writes about pundits on parade for 2013. Ron also has a weekly chat every Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock Eastern at usatoday.com, as you just heard, and he discusses his columns and other topics in the subscriber forums at BaseballHQ.com. You can get Ron's master notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, you can also listen to Ron's master notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of April the 5th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 12 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with Todd Zola of MastersBall.com and ESPN.com. Todd is a terrific player of our game, one of its best thinkers, and one of its nicest guys. I also want to thank our regular guests from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our minor league analyst was Rob Gordon. And our Master Notes commentator was BaseballHQ.com publisher and founder Ron Chandler. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com now and in the coming days for these features. Part 2 of Ray Murphy's Long Shot Leaders and Award Winners. Dan Becker's Batting Buyer's Guide looks at early April turnover. Very important in many leagues as we heard today. And Neil Fitzgerald looks at Year 3 of the Roto 500 format. Plus we have all our regular features on Playing Time. Buyer's Guides, Division Outlooks, Pitcher Matchups, and so much more. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also remember to check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. If you'd like, you can follow me too. I'm at Patrick Davitt on Twitter. And please, tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to iTunes and rate our show so we can keep it going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with Fantasy Baseball's Zen Master. It's Lore Michaels on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.
Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.